If you're listening to this episode, you're listening to one of our first ever episodes. Yay, you. Uh, Depending on which episode you're listening to, you may notice that we're still working some things out like the music in episode one or the just general audio audio problems that we have all the time sorry yeah we want to leave these episodes up to show our progress so this disclaimer is to thank you for listening and hopefully you'll have patience with these things yes we definitely ironed it out in season two so more to come with Northeast Animal Shelter, which is, I think, the largest animal shelter in the Northeast? I think it is. Yeah. They place thousands of animals in homes, and so we really love what they do, and they're a no-kill shelter, which is awesome. We're all for not killing animals. <laughs> they're fantastic, and they have just an amazing heritage. Yeah, they do. So, I went on their website, and I picked a dog to feature. Okay. Who is available for adoption. Her name is Melly. Aww. That's <laughs> so, adorable. Her profile says, Hola, my name is Melly. <laughs> she's Spanish. <laughs> so, she's bilingual. <laughs> um, it says, I am an active gal and I warm up to new people quickly. I love being pat, especially, it should say patted. <laughs> Wrong grammar. Man. <laughs> Especially on my head, and I will often roll over for belly rubs. I enjoy playing ball and going for walks. I do need some training on how to walk proper on the leash. Melly, that should say properly. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> just picking at their grammar. The grammar police. This is really gonna help our partners. <laughs> no. Oh, I'm just kidding. You, you say it however you want. <laughs> Uh, this is new to me, um, so they're saying walking on the leash is new to her. If you are ready for a long-term commitment, I am ready to meet you. Mm. From Melly. Oh, and she is a female lab mix. Here's her picture. How old is she? One year old, 43 pounds. And she's as you can gorgeous. See, yep, she's she's all white, and then she has patches over her eyes and ears. Wow. So cute. And she has different colored eyes, it looks like. Yeah. It looks like one's black and the other's like this light light brown. light brown wow yeah. she's gorgeous go she check really out Melly ASAP yeah she needs a home northeast animal shelter is it dot com I think so honestly if you just google northeast, northeast animal, animal shelter yeah. <laughs> just do it it'll come up immediately yeah okay so getting into this week's episode yeah last week we covered the history of dog food yes you remember Laurel because you did all the research for that one <laughs> we learned about Gaston the Third. Yes. Remember our friend Gaston? I do remember. What? I'm going to quiz you now. Uh-oh. What kind of dogs did Gaston have? <laughs> oh, oh, wait. Don't. He had, he had greyhounds. Yes! <laughs> nice job. You win. That was scary. Uh, so, Gaston the Third. I just love that name. It reminds me of Beautiful What I call him first? Gaston. 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 <laughs> I made it as ugly as possible. Gaston. It sounds like somebody who is gas problem. <laughs> <laughs> or just but gonna it's, call you Gaston because Instead it was Gaston, which is beautiful. It just reminds me of 
Beauty and the Beast, who has the bad guy's name, Gaston. Oh, so, that's yeah. how you knew it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, I never wrote it. I would have called him Gaston as well. Um, anyway, so Gaston III wrote a book about how to feed his greyhounds near the end of the 14th century. And then later on, we learned about the businessman James Spratt. With so many funny names in dogs with dog food. It is really fun. Spratt and Gaston. Spratt. <laughs> Uh, James Spratt introduced the first commercially prepared pet food in England in around 1860. And then we also learned all about the controversy surrounding the messaging of commercial dog food. There's those two competing articles. Do you want to recap those articles? Sure. <laughs> um, so James Spratt, he was, he kind of brought commercial food in, like you said, uh-huh. and he sort of um, made commercial dog food really big in the world and everyone really felt like they could only serve bagged dog food for all different life stages. Yeah. Whereas the other article, The Farmer's Dog, they were much more about natural food to give your dogs and they were even suggesting that you don't really need it for different life stages. Like it should just be healthy food the entire time. And I've been so locked in my brain that like I needed puppy food and then I needed um food for a large breed or a small breed and then I needed senior feed so I'm I'm not sure which side of the fence I land on yet but I'm very interested in learning more about both absolutely and so I think the biggest takeaway from last week for me from everything that you just explained was that we've been so manipulated by the marketing schemes surrounding dog food that I feel like we've just been going into it with our eyes closed so Today we're going to learn uh, the truth about dog food, Um, not about the ingredients that go into it. There's so much controversy around the ingredients that it needs a toll up. So today we're talking about how dog food is made, specifically kibbles. I love this. I'm so excited. Yeah, or kibble. I guess it's just the plural is just kibble, not kibbles. And did you see that someone posted? I think it was last week. They were so interested about nutrition. Oh really? Uh, yeah, they're like I, they love nutrition talks, and they posted it on our Facebook. Oh my gosh, I totally missed that. I'm gonna have to show you. I feel like I'm getting all the good comments, and then I have to like, and then <laughs> I, I get to the first. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I've just been so busy. This is the last week of my grad school course, so oh. I've been like working on my final all week and very heads. Down. Yes. Um, but I still found time to research uh, how kibble is made. Honestly, Laurel, I went into this thinking that it was going to be gross mm-hmm. and that it would be like, oh, this is so nasty. But yeah. this is not a gross process. Okay. Honestly, I was like, oh, okay. Um, I also went into the how dog is made thinking, how dog food is made thinking that there wouldn't be much controversy around the process. Mm. But I was wrong. Oh my gosh. There is controversy around the process. We're going to talk today specifically about how it's made, and then we'll get into what the controversies are. Okay, fun. I feel like anytime there's any sort of living animal that can't speak for themselves, controversy ensues. (laughs) So while each brand of dog food has its own individual recipe, as we know, Oh, multiple recipes, really. Like, Purina has, like, senior food and food for puppies and food for dogs with sensitive stomachs and blah, blah, blah. Right. They have lots of recipes, and they all have different ingredients. There are all these recipes from all these brands are regulated by the Association of American Feed Control Officials. That's a mouthful. It's the AAFCO for short. Is that a government-run 
program. It's actually funded by the FDA, so pretty legit. Yeah, I feel I feel like I trust them. <laughs> uh, great. So that's good news. Uh, the pet foods are comply are the pet foods are also required to be complete and nutritionally balanced, so that you can you know they all ensure that your dog is getting all the nutrients that he or she needs in his diet, which is also good. That doesn't mean that all the foods are actually good for your dog because what is considered complete and nutritionally balanced, like per one person or one dog, may not be the same for another dog. Like mm-hmm. dogs have different needs. Right. Um, all right, we're going to briefly talk about ingredients, but again, this episode's not about ingredients. So Got it. The things that go into dog food typically yes. are protein sources, like okay. beef, chicken, and eggs. No more horses. Right, no more horses. Thank God. Yes. <laughs> um, and then grains and cereals, and also vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. Mm. So those are the chief ingredients that go into the food, and they're all mixed together in the factory and pulverized to create a consistent dough that can be cooked. Okay, so yeah. I imagine like just big machines like smashing it up. Pretty much. So there's there, there's one machine that pulverizes it and smashes it and then they all go to a, go through a big mixer that like, I forget what it's called, but it has like fans in it and it spins around and like, it's kind of like a giant Cousinart mixer. <laughs> <laughs> Only it's not made by Cousinart, but you know. <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, and so that, Shout out to Cousinart. <laughs> yeah, I love Cousinart. <laughs> so anyway, that's that's how the dough is made. And pretty much all dog food is, kibble is made by this dough process. Hmm. So here's where it gets dicey. There's this whole process that they used called extruding. Okay. Have you ever heard of the word extruding? Mm-mm. It reminds me of protruding, which is not what it means at all. <laughs> I just kept thinking that when I was reading this. They both rhyme. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so basically, the dough goes into this big machine, mm-hmm. and it's subject to really, really, really high pressure, like extremely high pressure, and that keeps the dough from puffing up. It stays like flat. Yeah. And then it's also subject to extreme heat, so usually applied by like boiling water or steam, and that cooks the dough. And then the dough is forced through this thing called a die, which makes its shape. So you your dough could maybe sometimes the kibbles are in little heart shape or mm. a little like chicken shape or something. It's forced through that, and then it's cut into little slices, and then it goes into a dryer, and that sucks out the rest of the moisture in the dough. Huh. Yeah. So then you have your kibbles. They're ready to go. Next comes this thing called, I love this, it's called enrobing, <laughs> which is like, makes you think of a person putting robes on. Yeah, it does. And it's kind or of like similar. a coating or something. Exactly, because yeah. it is a coating. <laughs> <laughs> so enrobing is when um, extra fats oils, vitamins, and minerals are sprayed onto the kibble. Hmm. They're coated in that stuff. Okay. And added vitamins are supposed to make up for what is lost during the extrusion process. Yeah, I can imagine that a lot is lost in the extrusion. extrusion. Exactly. That's uh, the controversy. Okay. So we'll get into that in just a minute. But um, that's not all. The enrobing also often involves something called... Um, no, it's not called anything. And rubbing <laughs> often involves spraying artificial artificial colors onto the kibble. Why? Because it's supposed to make it more appetizing looking for you. 
the consumer. No. Yeah, so they spray usually like a caramel coloring onto the kibble. Yeah. And it's supposed to make it look less gross for the humans when they're feeding it. So unnecessary because my, the food I'm feeding up currently today, I'm like, why does it have that color? It bothers me that it has that color. Like I'd rather it just all be brown. Yeah. Or like whatever it's supposed to be. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if your kibble is like a mixture of like red and light and different colors, it's because that color is just sprayed onto it. That's so annoying. They're all like the same in the middle. Ugh, that's really annoying. Yeah, unnecessary. I'm gonna go chop mine up when I get home. Yeah, (laughs) do it. One of the most important ingredients is also sprayed on at this time. Mm -hmm. This is an amino acid called taurine. Tari? I'm not sure how to say it. It's T A U R I N E. I'm gonna say taurine. I really need to look up how to pronounce stuff. Um, So that's sprayed on, and taurine is really important because if dogs don't get enough, they can have serious medical problems like blindness, heart disease, and other things. Wow. Bad. So it's really important that it gets sprayed on. Wow. And after that, the kibble is packaged. See, what's so funny about like doing all this research and things like this, like I would have never, ever, I've never heard the word taurine before, and I've owned dogs my whole life. Like, my family's never mentioned taurine. My vets have never mentioned taurine. But, like, if it's preventing all of those great things, like, why aren't we... Why don't we talk about that more in the vet's office? Why don't we talk about nutrition more? Yeah. Maybe it's on all the foods. Yeah. And so it's just, like, not... I don't know. I don't know, Laurel. It <laughs> seems like we're not being told all the facts. I know. So, all right. That's that's how kibble's made. That we ended with the packaging of it. So it's pretty simple, you know, I thought it was going to be more complicated than that, but it's pretty straightforward. Basically, you know, it's extruded, it's protruded, no, just kidding, it's extruded. (laughs) No, it's beaten up first. It's pulverized. Pulverized. (laughs) Yeah, and then extruded, and then dried, sprayed, and packaged. Yes. Yes, it's pretty straightforward. But I do worry about that that, um, drying process, like you said, I'm excited to hear more. And the extreme pressure and temperatures, too. Yes, yeah, you'd think it'd just bake everything out of it. Exactly, like, if you think, would you do that to your own food, and eat it every day? Mm -hmm. Imagine cooking chicken that way. Pulverize the chicken. Yeah. Like, boil it, and then put it under high pressure, I don't know, and then force it through a thing to put it in a shape. Yeah. Then spray, sorry, just fat dry it out and then spray stuff on it like that would be gross right I wouldn't want to eat that I know I also think about like what is it is it vegetables that like if you there's one way you should eat it and there's one way you shouldn't I think like freezing helps or something. yeah freezing vegetables when they're still fresh is good okay um but I don't know like if the vegetables going into this kibble are still fresh when they go in or if they're like just dried out or they're already cooked like yeah. I don't really it probably depends on the brand yeah um yeah questions I know so uh, the biggest concern with this process is that extrusion may get rid of all the beneficial nutrients in the food and then that's why they're spraying them back onto the kibble after the fact hmm. which I don't I don't think that spraying your vitamins onto your food is the best way to get yourself the vitamins. I can't imagine that it would give you much, and they must, I'm guessing that they dry it or whatever for shelf life reasons, like that must they keep do. up the shelf life. And, um, I believe they spray preservatives on it as well. Ugh. It's kind of like 
like you eating Cheerios every day. Yeah, just not good. It's really processed. Do love Cheerios, but... That's right, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, I have an obsession. Oh, and you hate Cheerios. Yes, I do. <laughs> I am not a Cheerios eater. Unless they're like Honey Nut Cheerios or have some other sugar additive. <laughs> Sarah told me once that like, because I have, what did someone call it? One of my coworkers called it like carmorphia. It's kind of like body dysmorphia, but it's for your car. And you're so worried that your car is so dirty all the time, but it's not <laughs> even that bad. But anyways, I have this issue. So every time someone goes to get in my car, I'm like, oh my God, like this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. Like before you get in. Uh-huh. And Sarah told me once that the only thing, time that she thinks someone's car is just gross if there's Cheerios everywhere. <laughs> I think that's so gross. If there's Cheerios on the floor of your car, you need to rethink your life choices. Oh my gosh. Now but dirt is fine. Horse smell is fine. Gross. Wait, were you given Cheerios a lot when you were younger? Yeah, I had them for breakfast, like, every morning. Okay. Because <laughs> I have a hard time eating pasta, because we ate pasta every night. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, pasta's my favorite. I'm I really sorry. love no- gnocchi? Gnocchi? No- oh, nochi. Nochi! Oh, no, my mom is Italian. She calls it gnocchi. Gnocchi. I feel like yeah. that sounds really right. Yeah, yeah. That's gnocchi. my favorite. Oh, my God. So good. It is really good. I need to have gnocchi tonight. It's really unhealthy. So you unhealthy. can make homemade ricotta gnocchi, and it's like soft, pillowy clouds. Mm. It's good. Yum. But your dog won't get to eat any of it because he has to eat kibble. Right. Back to dogs. <laughs> Back to dogs. Um, the second problem with this whole kibble making process is actually that the factories can be really dirty and not well maintained. Mm. So. Basically, I look at some articles that have all these images of the plants, and the machines were like covered in mold and grime. Mm. And the article was about how if they compared it to a cereal factory where everything was like pristine and clean, and they're like the same standards aren't being upheld for animal food as they are for human food. That's food. really too bad. It really is. And apparently, plants are warned in advance before inspection, hmm. so they can like quick you know, clean, clean up and then you don't have to clean again until the next inspection. So it's really up to the plant to really make sure things are clean all the time. Right. And then the reports of their inspections aren't released to consumers anyway. Hmm. So if they don't do well in the inspection... Then it's not told to anyone. Right. They just have to, like, fix the place up, pass, and then... But we wouldn't know if they frequently were failing. Gosh. That makes me sick. I know. <laughs> so we don't know which of these pet food companies might be failing inspection. Uh, like, is it the food you're feeding your dog? You know? You don't right. know. Is there any way to find the information? Or it's just, like, doesn't have to be... If it doesn't have to be shared with consumers, it probably isn't available. Right. It doesn't have to be shared. Yeah. So I don't... Um, I mean, I could spend time trying to see if we could find a report, but I doubt there would be posted online. Yeah. All right. So... There's one article from Dog Naturally Magazine, and they called kibble overly cooked, heavily processed, low-quality convenience food, <laughs> and then they dropped the mic. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, could they bash it anymore? <laughs> That's a loaded sentence. Yes, it is. And they also stated that they believe that the, the feeding of kibble... It's contributing to a plethora of health problems, including mm-hmm. chronic degenerative diseases, diseases, autoimmune diseases, allergies, kidney, pancreatic, and liver disease. Mm-hmm. And they say that these are rampant 
within our pet populations and cancer rates are continuing to rise. I mean, it's so true. It, that is happening a lot and you see it more and more and more and I feel like you just never heard about it as much. And then you think like, well, is it just because like, we hear about everything more? But I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, I feel like I'm like painting this dark conspiracy. I, <laughs> I know. I keep thinking, but then when I think about it, I'm like, but they also like provide nutrients. I'm still not sure like where I land. I don't know. I naturally want to go with the natural foods. Like I'm like, oh my God, that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. But then do I really have the time to do it? So yeah. I'm not sure where I land I mean, we'll, we'll keep finding out. Right. Maybe this will convince you. Yes. There's two studies that have been done on kibble. Okay. This first one was done in Stockholm, Sweden, by somebody named Dr. Kolith. And basically, he fed young animals a cooked, processed diet, um, and they initially appeared to be healthy, but once they reached maturity, they began to rapidly age and develop degenerative disease symptoms. Hmm. And then he had a control group. And so these dogs were raised on a raw, uncooked diet. And then once they matured, they did not age nearly as rapidly and showed no signs of degenerative disease. And they stayed healthy. Wow. So anyway, (laughs) another study out of Belgium by two researchers named Lippert and Safi. (laughs) It might be Safi, but it's S-A-P-Y. Lippert and Seppi. It sounds Seppi. like it reminds me of like Lipton tea. Like this sounds could like be Seppi. Seppi could be. <laughs> uh, anyway, so they used data gathered by. No, they used data gathered from more than <laughs> five hundred domestic dogs over a consecutive five year period, cool. and so they did this between nineteen ninety eight and two thousand two. The dogs were fed a homemade diet consisting of high-quality foods used from their owner's meals. So that was some of the dogs. Mm. And then other dogs were fed industrial commercial pet food. So the dogs that were fed that homemade diet ended up having a life expectancy that was 32 months longer, which is almost three years. Wow. That's incredible. So this was just a statistical study, like, used with using surveys. Yeah. Um, but I think that the message is clear. Yeah. That these dogs are living longer when they have that homemade diet. I know. We'll have to dig into, like, okay, then what is the homemade diet? And, like, what should we do? Exactly. So, while kibble is cost-effective and convenient, Mm -hmm. um, these pet food companies maintain that it's, like, a healthy option for dogs and so on, but I'm really not sure anymore. I'm not sure either. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think we need to compare options. We definitely do. Other options are raw diet, mm. like homemade, and then also wet food, which is made through a different process. Got it. So I think in the next episode, that's what we need to dig into. Yes, definitely. So maybe, like, doing a comparison on, like, what types of food you would actually make your dog or give your dog. Yeah. Like, also, what options do you have? Like in the, I never knew that the farmer's dog existed, which, by the way, everyone, the farmer's dog does sell you something. It's a package of natural dog food that you can buy that gets delivered to your house. So you have to take everything that they said with a grain of salt, but they're still adding more to the story about James Brett. So... And then the other, yeah. So you just have to take everything with a grain of salt. I guess so. But not what we say because guess what? We're not funded by anyone. No, we're sure not. (laughs) We're going through this process with you. Our only agenda is to find out what's best for our dogs. Yes. Um, 
yeah, so next week we'll dig into what food and homemade food diets, and we'll try to give you an objective comparison of these different diets. I know. I wonder if we should do any, like, testing with our dogs, but I don't think we'd really get much just because... It would only be able to be like a week or two, and they both have such sensitive diets, I'd want to be really sure. Exactly, and I think one of the big problems with this is that you don't not you don't necessarily see the effects of the food on your dog until your dog has some kind of disease right. or is blind or something, and then even then you might not know that it was because of some deficiency in their food. I know. Or an allergy. Or I know, that. and this so. might be, so peanut... I don't remember if I told you this or not, but he lost his eye. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, and he lost it to glaucoma, which was really rapid onset of glaucoma. And I learned that when a dog has glaucoma or when their eye starts to get cloudy, it, there's a ton of pressure behind their eye, and mm-hmm. it feels like a, the worst migraine you've ever had. Oh. And it's really painful, and I never knew this. And I'm not sure that many people do know this because a lot of times they're like, oh, yeah, this dog's just going blind, and they kind of just let them go around, and, like, their eye starts to get blinder and blinder and blinder, but they're actually experiencing a lot of pain, or at least in Peanut's case, I don't know if there's a case where they're not, but Mm -hmm. in Peanut's case, he was, so I chose to remove the eye so he didn't feel that pain anymore, and then next day, he turned into, like, a puppy again. He's, like, was so happy that he didn't have to live with all that pain. Oh, poor Peanut. I know. Mm. Well, I'm so glad that you, you know, had it removed, and he happy again yes he was really happy <laughs> but i mean who knows if that had something to do with his food like, i know i'm knowing i know i tried so. so hard to get him food but like we, like i said before food was like poisoned him so he was constantly getting he was constantly sick all the time i couldn't find food that worked out well for him so it could have yeah. really pushed him along and maybe why he i mean he lasted he lived until eight which isn't very old at all. No, for, it's not. No, for an older dog, they say that that's average or even good. Like, some people, like, applaud me for it. And I'm like, I don't know. I would have liked to at least get him to 10. I know right. he was giant, but still. Right. Just felt weird. That's the tough thing about giant dogs is that they don't live as long. I know. It's so sad. Yeah. But maybe with good diet, maybe. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> all right. So next week, we'll be back to explore more on... Puptrician. Puptrician. <laughs> Me. Uh, email us, dogcasters at whatisdog.com. Follow us on Instagram at, at whatisdogcast. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Have a good day.